you know, how did you be inside a strict military type regime with the sort of expanded consciousness? <laughs> yeah, it made, it made it pretty hard. <laughs> it yeah. made it pretty hard right off the bat. You know, I, I had that experience the, 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 within the first month of being in Afghanistan. Wow. Uh, I was 18. It was my first month in Afghanistan. I had this expanded consciousness. I had no idea what that was. Yeah. You know, happened. I just was like, all of a sudden, I knew that chasing girls and having a nice car didn't mean nearly as much as I thought it did. You know, that's all I knew. So, so, so that was quite a shocker to me. And so I, I really, you know, I was really faced with the uh, fragility of like human existence, and it scared it scared the hell out of me. Totally scared the hell out of me. I saw, you know, and so every patrol after that, I was just so fearful. I was just always so filled with fear and anxiety and worry because I was like. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna die here, and I'm not gonna like. It could be in a really unpleasant way, and like, I don't know. I don't think I got all my ducks in a row. Like, yeah, that that was the feeling. Like, I don't think I had. I don't think I have all my ducks. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow, I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So great to be with you again. And I have a delicious person to introduce you to today. His name is, isn't he gorgeous? His name is Jared Bull. He is a two-time Afghan combat veteran who experienced multiple deep awakenings during and after his combat experience. He's travelled all over the world from the plains of Afghanistan to the mountains of India, visiting yogis, sages, shamans in his exploration to better understand himself human systems and how to bring it to peak performance. We're going to talk all about his journey in this, his awakening journey and his experience that put him on this journey. He's a speaker, professional coach and healer who shares deep esoteric understanding of the mind and body and the physical world along with his relaxed style of teaching to help individuals grow, heal and prosper. Prosper, welcome to the show, honey one. Oh, thank, thanks for having me, Karen. It's so nice to be here. Who wrote that bio? That was really well written. <laughs> I don't know, some guy called Jared. <laughs> I actually added, I embellished a little bit. Did you like that? <laughs> I loved it. You're reading it back to me and I'm like, wow, that sounded really way, way better than I thought when I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, Jared, I found him online, surfing online. I found him on Yannicka's show, Wisdom from North. Mm -hmm. We love Yannicka. And uh, I, you know, I get hooked into people's stories sometimes and I keep watching. And I think Yannicka actually said the same about you. She saw you on somebody else's show and, and she got hooked in as well. And I just found your story fascinating and I wanted to share it with my tribe and oh, thank you. beautiful people that watch this show, you know, I really attract the teachers. Even if people that are watching this say, oh, I'm never going to teach anybody, that's just what my energy attracts. You know, some people attract mm. the, the seekers and, you know, there's different levels of our life. But I think that anyone that's listening or tuned into these conversations is really here to share their wisdom 
and what mm. they've come to know with others. And so they're the kind of conversations I have. And you've been on this accelerated, accelerated awakening journey, which I find is happening more and more today. Like I'm mm. a bit of an old gal, so it took me a long time to awaken and, you know, and I'm not there yet. You know, I'm still marinating. But uh, some people awaken really quickly and, and you were one of them. Do you want to tell us what was happening? You obviously went to the, you were in the military. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really where it started. I mean, I always had an interest in spirituality and religion. I, I went to a religious private school with like a hundred other kids where there was like, it was out in the middle of Amishville, basically. Oh, uh, there wow. was Amish people there. I was like the bad black sheep of the family. So my parents didn't send me to public school. They sent me to this small private school out in the middle of nowhere. And um, it was really, really highly religious. It was highly zealous. It was highly Mennonite. And I just questioned everything. Like, I just remember just growing up, just questioning everything in the world. Everyone's answers. I always had questions. And people gave me these one-word answers, like, that's just how it is or this is what's going on. And it just never was satisfactory enough for me. And so I, I would just always ask more questions and questions and questions. And teachers didn't know what to do with me. Like they didn't like me. <laughs> the teachers didn't like me because I would, I, I'd, you know, I'd say, why are we doing this? You know, I'd be in literature class or English class. I'd say, why are we learning this? How is this helping my life? And I was, you know, 12, 13 years old asking these questions. And the teachers didn't know how to respond because they never, you know, they never had to do that. So the questioning really started when I was young, uh, but it really kicked off when I went to Afghanistan in the military, and I've, I experienced death for the first time. Being around, seeing death, witnessing death up close, it was such a, an unbelievable, just such a, a, I guess, a numinous, you could even say, thing for me. Um, I remember the first time I saw someone die, he died right in front of me. He got shot right in the head, right in front of me went down was like I knew he was dead right away I mean I didn't even have to check him or anything I just knew he was dead right away and it was funny in that moment up up to that point in my life I was I was 18 years old when this happened and when you're 18 uh you you like cars and you like girls and I had that in my life I had a nice car a nice truck and I was always talking to girls every weekend so my life was made it, for all intents and purposes it was going great and when that happened um when he died, his con the consciousness expanded away from the body. And because I was so close to him, I felt an expansion of my consciousness. And in that moment, I literally saw all the experiences with all the women that I had, all my love for my truck and for just uh, the, this real material surface existence. It just, it, it went away in like one moment, just like that. Wow. I felt it leave. I saw it in my mind's eye. I felt the energy leave my body and I realized, whoa. And then that was really the turning point. And it took me it took me years to understand what had actually happened and transpired on an energetic level uh, for me. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. You know, I get that. Have you ever seen that movie Powder? I talk about this a lot. It's a movie that really impacted me. It's about an albino kid. His mother dies giving birth to him and his grandparents bring him up. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, yeah. it's a really old movie. You have to see it. And in the end, he, he dies, but he during he, he's like running and he leaves his body basically the electricity is attracted to him he has this different energy frequency and mm -hmm. he just expands out and everyone that's running after him feels that his consciousness like just move through them and they all mm -hmm. it's just like has how you explain they all go oh, 
and they're just yeah. in this awe, like, oh my God, what's happened? Yeah. When you tell your story, I think of the, visually that image, that consciousness coming out of that body, just going through you and just yeah. opening you up and giving you a broader, expanded perspective. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's a great example. I've, I mean, I've never seen it, but I really got the images yep. there. That's exactly what I feel like is happening. Is yeah. just this expansion in the energy, and then, well, with the expansion of energy comes like this openness and the emotions and the thoughts, and it's like something shifts. Something just shifts with with a person. And, Let me just ask you. I want to unpack this. Why did you want to go to the military? What was going? So you're a kid. You just sound like me. If you ever watch any anyone interview me, you're just like I'm insatiably asking people why everything, and they're I'm driving them crazy. But with all those questions, what was the reasoning behind going into the military? Like I want to help people. I want to make a difference. I want to save the world. Like what was happening? It was at the conscious level, like at the conscious and the unconscious level, I guess I'll start with the conscious first. Um, September 11th really hit me like hard, like watching that and seeing that as a kid. I remember I was in sixth grade and I just remember seeing that and just being totally, it was probably the most emotional experience that I had up to that point in my life. Um, So I I remember just seeing the whole thing, watching the whole thing happen on camera and I was just crying so much. And I just said, whoever, whoever did that, there just needs to be some sense of justice and then the next year, I think the year after that, or 2000, see that happened in 2001. So in 2002 or 2003, we invaded Iraq. And my oldest cousin, who was like the oldest male of our family, was a Marine. He joined as a machine gunner and was on the invasion to Iraq. And so, uh, you know, two years after that, my, the, the leader of the family was overseas fighting, uh, you know, as a machine gunner and on the invasion to, to Iraq. So that really uh, had a strong imprint within me. And I said, whoa, you know, he's doing something about this. Uh, I want to do something about this. And so that was eighth grade year. And then, you know, four years later, I guess when it came to my senior year, I didn't really know what I was doing. I had a couple different options and I just really started feeling that patriotic call to serve my country. So then I I joined, I joined when I was 17 years old and I left the boot camp and, um, and that kind of started the whole, the whole process. Wow. Amazing. Oh, wow. You know, like when my little brother, he had been contemplating life for a long time. He's in his 40s now. And he decided to join the military too. And his peace-loving mother was like, you can't, you can't, you know, the military is all about killing. It's all about war. It's not peace. But in his mind, he wanted to be an officer. He wanted to create peace. And he Mm. thought that if he could join the peace court, like go into countries and help. I don't know. It's kind of a mixed up way of thinking about peace, but it makes perfect sense to people who join the military. It's like, I want to help. So you join with that good intention and yet you were on the front line. Tell us about some of your experiences. I mean, obviously that expanding, what did you do after you had that? You know, how did you be inside a strict military type regime with the sort of expanded consciousness? <laughs> yeah, it made, it made it pretty hard. <laughs> it yeah. made it pretty hard right off the bat. You know, I, I had that experience the, 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 within the first month of being in Afghanistan. Wow. Uh, I was 18. It was my first month in Afghanistan. I had this expanded consciousness. I had no idea what that was. Yeah. You know, happened. I just was like, 
all of a sudden I knew that chasing girls and having a nice car didn't mean nearly as much as I thought it did. You know, that's <laughs> all I knew. <laughs> so, so that was quite a shocker to me. And so I really, you know, I was really faced with the uh, fragility of like human existence and it scared, it scared the hell out of me. Totally scared the hell out of me. I saw, you know, and so every patrol after that, I was just so fearful. I was just always so filled with fear and anxiety and worry. Cause I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to die here and I'm not gonna like, it could be in a really unpleasant way. And like, I don't know. I don't think I got all my ducks in a row. Like, yeah. That, that was the feeling. Like, I don't think I have, I don't think I have all my ducks in a row. I'm not ready to do this. So I was very fearful, very anxious the whole time. So I really started becoming more in tune with my own religion at the time, which I professed to be a Christian then still. Mm. Um, and so I read the Bible a lot that gave me a sense of peace and comfort while I was there a little bit. And then I made it through that experience and I had a lot of friends and fam a lot of close friends who didn't make it back from that experience. And mm. um, so I got back and then, you know, uh, dealt with kind of started reading more, getting really interested in religion, world studies. So I was always reading on the side. Then I went back to Afghanistan a second time and I did not want to go back. At that point I had started it wasn't on a political level yet. It was just on a personal level. I knew that I knew that it just didn't feel right to me anymore. I had so many experiences in Afghanistan where I realized that I had the feeling that we weren't doing the right thing. Like we mm -hmm. were the bad guys. Like we, we were the stormtroopers and mm -hmm. they were the good people and we were invading them. And so I, I had that feeling the entire time I was over there. And then I got back but I had to go back a second time and I wasn't going to back down because, you know, all my friends were still in, you know, so yeah. I didn't want to leave them out. So I just, I kind of just sucked it up and, and did the second deployment. The second deployment wasn't nearly as bad. And I actually got put in a better position where I wasn't fighting. I was actually like a project man manager and I was, I was, uh, I was working with local village elders and mullahs help, helping build projects. So I was working side by side with these, these people. So I got to know the Afghani people on a much deeper level than just like fighting with them and telling them, you know, you can't go through this checkpoint or anything like that. I, I really got to develop a deeper relationship with the people in there in Afghanistan. And that really moved me on a deeper level. And then when I got back from my second deployment, I just, everything just started coming out. I was like, okay, something's definitely not right here. This are, we are wrong. They are right. Nice. Um, you know, and all, all the psyche, all the psyche, all the stuff that I had to bury started coming to the surface. And that's really what introduced that was, that was in the beginning of 2012, when I got back from my first deployment. And that was when I realized, okay, uh, something, something else is deeper here. That was really when the spiritual realm started flowing into me because I was knocking. having, sleep. right, started knocking. Exactly. I, I was having sleep paralysis. I was having like what I would have said then is demonic entities like showing up in my bedroom at night and I wasn't sleeping. I was having out of body experiences and I was just mm -hmm. fully facing it, you know, facing uh, the energy of people that I had killed. And I was just like, this is not good. And it was just a, it was like a, the first part of the awakening. And so I went on medication and uh, started taking it that way and that didn't work. So I got right off of that within three, three months. And then uh, I just started really, really exploring really exploring. I got out of the military in 2012, went straight into college and felt very separate from everyone in college. Uh, naturally, you know, I'm a 22 year old in college and I feel like I don't know anyone there or relate to any of the college students. And that's when the exploration really started kicking off as well and kind of getting into deeper levels. 
let me ask you, did you feel alone in this or was it happening with to other people like in the military? Were they going through their own crazy or yeah. you, did you like talk to anybody about what was happening? I know psychologists just drug you up. That's what they do. But what about your, your yeah. uh, peers, you know, like were I, they? I think that's a great question. So, yeah, they, they, a lot of my peers uh, were going through similar experiences, but they didn't take the time to understand what was happening to them. You know, I, I had a lot of friends, you know, three since I've been back who have committed suicide because right. a, lot of, a lot of them go through deep trauma and they don't know the spiritual perspective of it and they have right. nothing else. So they just get caught and locked up in the despair and the darkness and they don't know how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. So they just cycle it through over and over again. And so I was seeing this and I said, okay, I need to be the first person to stand up. And I actually wrote a letter to the military, um, my chain of command saying, I'm done. I'm not, they, they, I was, when I got back from my second appointment, I was supposed to train 26 new Marines and how to machine gun and machine gunning is an art. You can make anything an art, but you take the Marine Corps and then you take a machine gunner from the Marine Corps. They take a lot of pride. Like I went to advanced machine gun school. Like I spent six months in school. just learning how to shoot really, really well. So it's, it's, it's an art. And they were like, I, I had the most experience at that point in the unit to teach machine gunning. So they said, you know, we want you to train up all the new Marines. I said, no, I just wrote him a letter. I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to teach men how to kill. I don't believe in them anymore. I wrote them this three page letter explaining to them everything. Uh, all my experiences saying I, I, I morally didn't agree with it anymore and that I would not be teaching new people how to machine gun and kill. Makes me cry when you say that, you know, I have a memory of being a kid. I've been in war. I've had, I've been in war in past lives, not in this life. You know, I came in as a, mm. Uh, a busty blonde in this life wasn't going to war, but uh, <laughs> I've got this memory. And I remember as a kid having this thought, if they try and make me go to war, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. Mm. But you know how they've had subscription? Like they were never going to have subscription in, in Australia. But I don't mm. know. I had this memory. If they try and make me go, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. Isn't that funny to have that as a kid? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, wow. Okay. Right. So uh, what did they say when you said, I'm not going to do it? They just said, fine, go away. Yeah. So that was, that was real scary for me. But when I stood up and said that and started reaching out for help, and at that point I said, you know, I need to be seeing a therapist or something like that. I just totally came forward, which is highly unlikely uh, for people in the military. Usually guys just self-destruct, you know, they right. commit suicide or rather than ask for help. Or, right, right. Right. They start drinking. Right. I was the first person to like, actually help and so they were actually like really shocked and they didn't know what to do but they were supportive they were actually surprisingly very supportive they they said okay we understand you're like done like and i had served so well like i was always a leader though i was always a that i think that's what was shocking for them because i'd always been a leader i'd always been really good at my job i took a lot of pride in what i did and i just told them that it just wasn't a part of my value system anymore and i couldn't do it anymore and so coming from that authentic integrity place I think whenever you come from that place people it's like even if it's not even if they want to disagree with you like they almost can't because they feel it they feel the yeah. alignment within you they feel the authenticity so when I did that a lot of other guys started coming out and saying we can't do this anymore either so it kind of started this interesting chain reaction before I got out and um, yeah it was really it was incredibly powerful I think for for that to happen the military hadn't seen that before at least yeah. not to my knowledge Cool. Okay, I want to I wanna talk about, you know, a lot of people hold on to a lot of guilt for what they've done in their life. 
and you look like somebody who's done a lot of stuff and mm. you've really come to peace and moved beyond it. Mm. How did you do that? Oh, man, a lot of therapy. <laughs> a lot of therapy, a lot of different alternative therapies, and just um, I really, I mean, it kind of just blasted me into the non-dual state of consciousness, hands down. I don't look at the world in a dualistic lens at all. I don't look at it good and evil, completely open to both. Mm -hmm. I just follow whatever the alignment feels with me, whatever mm -hmm. feels right to me. And I'm saying, okay, this is good and this is okay. I'm going to go with this. And if I don't know what that is, because I still get put in those moments where I'm like, this is the blurred line for me, mm -hmm. then I just go with it. I just trust whatever's happening. Um, so I guess really the, the, when you, I just, I think when you self-reflect enough, you transcend that duality consciousness mm -hmm. when you're in that, that, you know, non-dual consciousness of just, <clears throat> just seeing the world play out, you know, the mm -hmm. yin and the yang, the light and the dark, um, you just got to walk the middle path in the middle way. And mm -hmm. most people don't know how to do that. They know mm -hmm. how to either be bad or they know how to be good and they identify with one or the other. Um, but I think to be able to walk in both worlds is really, really unique. Um, it's needed because you definitely keep the you keep things in balance like I, I i can meet really really unbelievable amazing people and then i can sometimes i can meet and come across just un un unbelievably dark unbelievably dark people and i don't hang around the unbelievably dark people i don't hang out with them but i'm not scared of them either and i'm not scared to go into those places with them um yeah so i know yeah because uh, yeah exactly i mean you know amongst the We've had a discussion before you and I amongst the sort of new age community. There's a lot of people on, you know, still playing out the right and the wrong, the dark and the, you know, the, the mm. war, the war of the light versus the dark. And we're here yeah. on the side of the light. I'm a light and we're, worker. I'm a light worker fighting the dark forces. And, you know, there's the, like the Corey Goods in the world. I actually love Corey Good, but there's that whole sort of like the reptilians are controlling us and the cabal and this and, you know, and, and like this whole kind of fix it attitude yeah which is very engaging and very uh hypnotizing really and right, uh, because right. you feel like you're on the side of the right but this side of the right is what every war is about right so every right. person who's fighting a war is the on the right side right. <laughs> that's exactly it and that's what i realized you know doing reading everything i just realized everyone's living in their own little circles and they're so determined and engaged in saying that they're right that it's like not helpful at all for the world. Like the best thing a person, you want to change the world, lock yourself in a room and just meditate for at least yeah. two hours a day. You'll change the world much quicker. Uh, like you don't need to go save it. You don't need to go, uh, you know, I'm not saying that those things aren't bad, you know, developing drugs or whatever, like, you know, vaccines or, you know, that's great. I think that's wonderful. Quickest way you can save the world is just by locking yourself in a room and not moving and learning to be still within yourself. Uh, Cause then you embody that energy and you take that energy out to the world and that stillness embodies in other people. And then they're just not frantic. Like, so anything frantic, no matter if it's a good cause or a bad cause, I just stay away from it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you said you reached that place of being outside of duality, you saw that all the bad crap that happens to us is actually good too, because it, pushes you it like challenges you it stretches you it awakens you it 
Yeah, so <clears throat> so we have that choice in that moment of, of experiencing drama and uh, contrast to be swept up in it and and be a victim of it or mm. to use it as a understanding of who I am and what's capable and what next and what more. Yeah. And, and so there is no good and bad. There is only experience. Like that's living out. Right. I just wanted to, un, you know, just expand on this living outside of duality because a lot of people don't understand what that means. And I think when you reach that point, life is just so much more enjoyable because you stop fighting the good fight, right? I think, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, fighting the good fight is uh, tiring. It's exhausting. Uh, it's never ending. And yeah, I think that's great. I think when you get caught up in that whole state of consciousness that, you know, it, getting back into that duality, just it's it's not you don't contribute anything to the world i mean you do in one sense but you don't what the world needs right now is peace mm-hmm. uh, it needs peace it needs uh, acceptance it needs understanding and you can't bash you know someone over the head with a sign no matter what righteous message is on it and come to peace like if you want to if you want peace live peacefully if you want love be loving uh, it's that simple i mean i'm pretty sure christ said this i can't think of the exact words that he's saying but you know you just you just live it like whatever you want to create in the world you live it that's how like there's no there's no lag time like there's no lag what time whatsoever and you know when it comes to trauma and having these traumatic experiences for me um i was i'm really extremely i go through moments of extreme gratitude where i'm just like wow i you know because i extract the wisdom from those experiences which is great but I still go through times where it's incredibly painful and it's incredibly dark. And, you know, I go through that layer for 20, 30 minutes. Like I had it this morning, like this morning, I just laid in my bed for 30 minutes and just cried incredibly deep because I'm still, even to this day, I'm still processing the emotions of that experience. You know, it still comes up. And so, you know, I just, I feel that I process it. I allow it to be, you know, the sadness, the despair, the darkness, whatever it is. But I fully embrace it and I fully need it. And, you know, but also I, you know, I was like dancing around my kitchen for like an hour and a half because I was like, this is just great. Like, I love being alive right now. So, like, so you just embrace both, like embrace both fully. And when you embrace both fully in life, this is the interesting thing. You tap into your soul. You tap into something way deeper than most people ever tap into. And for me, that's my mission. It's showing people through sharing my story or speaking or coaching the coaching work that I do takes people unbelievably deep. It just pulls their soul out of them. Just allowing you to tap in with like a feeling on a feeling level uh, into that part of you that is indestructible, that cannot be killed, that never actually manifests fully in the physical world, but is like behind the scenes. And Mm. I think that's, you know, earlier you were talking about this consciousness expanding out and going into other people and that's really, really what happens when I do the coaching. I can see it. I'm just fully present with the person. And I just pull them into a space unknowingly, like it just happens with my energies now, pull them into a space where they're like, I, I don't know what the, your people tell me. I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know how to process this. They'll say that sometimes in the moment. I say, it's okay. Just trust, just be with me and trust me and create that safe space for them to go into that place of uh, experience within within themselves that's indestructible just that's that's where we all need to go because if we get a one little taste of that 
we can't, I think we can do anything. I think we can be so much more bold and live a much more meaningful life. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm getting this image. I heard someone say this online and it's something that I've heard many times from people that are not incarnate that when we're back on the spirit side, as Garnet likes to call it, you know, when we've gone back to non-physical, you know, we come from this realm of unimaginable, infinite, exalted wisdom and beauty, and there is no duality there. And so from that place of expanded awareness, we create these uh, agreements with each other. And I know that what, you know, like you've seen people killed and you've killed people in war. And that was like an agreement that we all had from that perspective. Mm. There's like no victim and no persecutor. There's like agreements. And, you know, I've heard it said that the one that agrees to be the persecutor is actually coming from a greater sense of love than the one that's playing the victim because mm. who you are as love, to take yourself away from that, to actually hurt somebody else mm. is a lot harder and hurts more than to be the victim. And so yeah. those agreements that we have before we come, you know, that it is with great love that the persecutors make those agreements that I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to harm you in some way while we're dancing around in those physical bodies. And mm. um, is, is that how you came to terms with, you know, the killings that you saw, like that was all like a sacred agreement? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's great. I think at one point I did, like I can't, because I've totally read up on that perspective and it was really attractive to me. I think at one point I definitely did. And then it got to a point where once I kind of integrated it, it was kind of just be, it was even beyond that too. It was just like, it was just like, okay, this is just like the divine playing out. Yeah. So like I'm Leela. not against that view, but it's just, yeah, yeah it's just, yeah. What, is, what was the word that you used? Leela, the play. The, yeah, Leela. the play of form and just yeah, playing play out. And it's, yeah. and it's like, who am I to argue with it? Yeah. Like, who am I to argue and say, this is not right. You know, like that's the arrogance I think of humanity is we argue with it and we try to say like, Oh, that's wrong. That's horrible. Oh, that's righteous. And then it's like, no, like who are you to argue or put labels on how the divine wants to show up through you or through other people? Right. Um, so it really put me in that state of humbleness and gratitude is hard as it was, you know, as hard as it was. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Okay. So, you know, you've had, as I said at the beginning of this, this accelerated awakening journey. And one of those experiences that you had, <clears throat> excuse me, was this Kundalini awakening. I was talking to my little tribe online about this and they're like, what, what's a Kundalini awakening? One of them Googled it and went, cause she had this kind of experience. And I said, Oh, it sounds like a Kundalini awakening. And then she Googled it and it was her, it was not like what she saw online, but do you want to talk about what happened to you? What was happening to you? Yeah, sure. So, um, about 2013, I'd been in a year in the school. So I got out of the military in 2012, late 2012. I went right into school. Uh, I spent a year in school and something didn't feel right. I was an anthropology major. I really, after my experience in Afghanistan, I loved learning about other cultures. And I was like, whoa, you can grow up with a whole different worldview of the world. Like, what yeah. is that? Anthropology. So yeah. I really liked anthropology, but then I wanted to make the switch and write about my experiences and put it into a story. So I, I just got the intuition to switch to become an English major and quit for 
for one semester or quit for yeah one semester so I quit school for one semester I took one semester off I locked myself in a room and I just wrote I just wrote and I said I'm gonna write this book in nine months it's gonna be like crazy it's gonna be awesome well when I did that excuse me when I did that uh, about three months into it I was sitting at my computer I was writing about some of these intense experiences and trying to make sense of them and, and, you know, bring a political perspective in there as well. Like I, I really, I was really like fully invested in this and I was sitting there at the computer and all of a sudden I felt this thing at the base of my spine and this energy shot up my spine and out my head and I felt it and I was put in this trans like state right away and my computer screen went completely out right in front of me and the light went out in front of me, both of them just totally black. And I was put in this trance state, and I just intuitively knew that I had to get outside as soon as that happened. So I ran outside, hugged a tree. I had no idea what was going on, but I just felt like that was the right thing to do. I didn't know at the time I was trying to ground the energy. I had no idea what was happening. Um, I was like, what is that? And so I started searching it online. Like, I've always been the person, like, if you want to do something in life, you just do it. Like, you research it, figure out how to do it and you go out in the world and you do it. It's not hard. It's pretty simple. You just got to have the willingness to do it. That's all it comes down to. So I was like, well, I don't know what that was. And so I started researching, came up upon Kundalini and said, oh, okay, so this is a Kundalini experience. And I was like, oh, what's this going to be like? And then that really just started it. Uh, spontaneous Kriyas, spontaneous yoga postures, uh, pr spontaneous pranayama breathing. And it didn't matter where I was. I could be in class and I would start spontaneous pranayama breathing I would start I'd be in class and my my arm would be over like this or I'd be doing some crazy like mudra or something like that and I just let it play out and I was just like this this is weird man I'm like totally I'm, if I didn't feel different enough from everyone in the classroom that just took it to a whole nother level <laughs> so yeah can, can I tell you something after we took because obviously you and I got online a week or so ago um chatting chatting away Yogananda turned up and he's been hanging out with me ever since. And, uh, and he made me watch Awake Again, which is... Uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's. Paramahansa Yogananda, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's laughing when you talk about this, like he's here. <laughs> and he's just totally laughing when you talk about this. <laughs> but uh, that... It makes sense that it would be him too, because he from the West, you know, him coming over from the East and just being like, what is this Western world? And... For me, I was living in the West, as Western as you could get, like military takeover, expansion, imperialism, and then this Eastern thing kicks in, and I'm like, what, what is this, you know? You know, I really believe that all of us on this planet will experience some sort of kundalini awakening, because all of us are going to go through our awakening period, even if it means leaving the body, we're all going to awaken, you know, some in the body, some out of the body. Uh, but some people just kind of do it faster than others. It's <laughs> depending on your plan, you know, your soul plan, right, what you're right. here to do, what you're here to experience, what you want to experience while you're here. I think that someone like you who's here to teach, <laughs> he says, yawning. Karen? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Go on his no. YouTube and watch him with the whiteboard, teaching away. Teach, teach. <laughs> I, I literally, I don't know what I do from one day to the next. I just, okay, this is what's coming through. And okay, I'm coaching this client. I'm reaching out in this way. And I just, I follow it each day. And, you know, one day I was like, okay, I'll get a whiteboard out. And, you know, so. 
Well, you know, like I think that you've been through so many incarnations in this one life. If you look like I stalk, you know, when I speak to people, I kind of stalk their Facebook page and I was looking at photographs of you and I'm like, wow, you don't even look like the same person from one photo to the next. It's kind of like you keep morphing. It's like you're living this. It's just such an accelerated life. You keep living these different personalities or maybe there are different aspects of your soul walking in, but it's shifting what you physically look like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, yeah, it's nice to get that confirmation because I see it and I feel it. And in one sense, it's very frustrating because there's parts of me that's like, dude, I don't want to work on my internal self so much. I just want to like, you know, like build a business. Like I would love, like I, and I still plan on doing this. Like I want to build like a million dollar, million dollar plus business where I'm helping people and loving what I do. Um, and I'm already like doing the coaching work, but I have bigger plans around that. But I'm like, you know, if I'm changing all the time, like, am I really going to have time to, you know, to build this stuff on the external world? And I do, I'm learning balance and it is happening. Just kind of interesting way that I thought it would be. Okay. So something that Yogananda was talking to me about, which is something I've contemplated as someone who's out there making a difference in people's lives and trying to make that a business and, you know, to survive doing that, right? Because wouldn't it be easy if money just wasn't a part of our reality and we could just share of ourselves and, you know, we wouldn't have to think about actually charging anybody anything. I mean, wouldn't that just be great, right? Mm. Just the money would come. So you look at people like Yogananda or gurus and they don't build a business. People just Mm -hmm. sponsor them. Like I was watching that uh, documentary on him called Awake, which kind of chronicles his life. And there were just like these business people that were attracted to his work that just threw lots of money on him. And he built houses and ashrams and centers and, you know, and I'm just kind of like, it's, it can be so much easier than, you know, charging per session. You know what I mean? It's like embody the energy of your mission, your plan, and just allow that sort of that energy to come to help you do what you want to do right um, yeah I totally agree and that's really the thing that I'm struggling with right now because I'm like well do I do nonprofit? do I set up my own nonprofit? how right. exactly do I want to do this so right now I'm just doing it the first way just to see what that's like and play with it and experiment I'm just going to test it out you know test it out because uh, you know some yeah just test it out really yeah yeah Okay, so after the Kundalini experience, like more expansion and empathy, feeling everything was like crazy for you. Mm. Like how were you coping with being this incredible empath where you could feel everybody's thoughts? And Yeah, so well then, uh, you know, it got to a point where I, I didn't, like I couldn't, I had to take a break. I had to step out of the world again because I stepped back into the college world and I was living so much in my mind because I was just, so fast. I was so obsessed with reading everything. I loved knowledge. I had a well, I, I had a thirst for knowledge. Then it got to a point where I was like, this isn't doing anything. Like I have so much information, but I'm not doing anything with it. Like it changed my mind, but I, I, that wasn't what I was looking for. I didn't realize I was looking for transformation again. And yeah. um, so I, 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 I almost married a girl who I deeply, deeply loved. And then I, of course I healed. I moved, I moved away from Philadelphia. That's where I was going to school at the time, moved to Pittsburgh, moved in with this girl, had a, another deep healing experience within three weeks of moving there and realized that we weren't supposed to be in it together anymore. We were no longer energetically aligned. And 
that was really rough and took me totally by surprise because I just sold my motorcycle to buy a ring at that point. (laughs) I just sold my like really nice motorcycle to buy a ring and then, you know, have this healing experience three weeks later. And um, if anyone knows me or spends time with me, I don't spend time dilly-dabbing around. So that night she knew something had shifted and I looked at her and I said, we have to have a talk right right away. so sometimes I move quicker than I actually is better than my own good. And um, so we had a talk and then that was when the first, and then we ended up breaking up, breaking up about a week or two, two weeks later. And I was totally devastated by that experience because she was the first woman who had just really, really loved me. You know, I grew up in a very narcissistic home, had a lot of unconscious anger that drove me to the Marine Corps as well. That you know, unconscious anger was driving that that service and that, that, that combat way of fighting. And so she was the first person who really just deeply loved me and supported me. So to, but I realized that we were just at different stages in our life. She was 20, 22, had only ever experienced her town and, um, you know, her sorority. And that was as big as her world got And my world was, you know, I'd killed people. I'm integrating all this. And now I'm, you know, like just so much more. And I, I realized that it, in terms of longevity, it just wasn't going to work out. And that broke my heart because she wasn't even in a place to understand that. She wasn't even yeah. in a place where she could, she just we kept saying, why are you breaking up with me? Don't you love me? And I said, yeah. you don't realize I love you so much, but I'm seeing that this isn't actually going to work out. Like there's the, mm-hmm. there's the, the realness of love, but then there's the reality of longevity and where we're both at in our lives. And it's just not going to work out. It's just going to be hurtful for both of us. And so I carried that burden for years, knowing that I loved this woman so deeply. She opened me up in such an amazing way. Um, and then I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even share with her the reason why I was doing that. So that was just totally blew my heart open. But that was the thing. That was what it was meant to do. It was meant to break the heart open even more into the world. You know, like people look at heartbreak and it's like, you're breaking your heart open to the world, you know, beyond just one-on-one intense relationships. Like how can you be that with every single person that you meet down the street? Oh, I want to repeat this a hundred million times. Um, Cause you know, so many young people and I was one of them. Oh, you know, when your heart breaks, I remember when I was 18 and I broke up with my first boyfriend at the hurt. And I remember thinking hurt more than when my mother died. How could it hurt more? You know? And mm. um but it breaks you open. It breaks you open. Like my daughter still suffers over the breakup of her first love, right? Mm. And no man matches the love, the innocence of first love, that first, you know, I love you so much, I'll die for you type feeling. Mm. But it's not personal. It's not between a man and a woman. It's not about you and me or her and me or him and me. It's about love. It's about us. It's about service. It's about love, you know, like we get so caught up with this romantic thing. It's about you and me and against the world. Right. You and me against the world. It's about being one with that love that is the world. I'm on my soapbox now, honey. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's exactly it, Karen. That's exactly it. And I, I, tried to explain that too. I said, it's, it's, this is way bigger than me and you. I know. That was what I said. I said, this doesn't mean I don't love you. This is way bigger than me and you. And stepping into that was a whole nother level of hurt that, and for hurt for her, you know, it brought out her abandonment issues and some other, her insecurities. Yeah. And it brought out for me just this, uh, this deep love for everyone. 
So I needed to take a break from everything. I said I need to take a break from Kundalini Awakening. I need to take a break from school. I just need to I just need to get away. And yeah. so I went to India and I just was like I wanted to meet some higher energy. Just something I I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know my direction yet. I didn't know my path. I just knew that that wasn't that I wasn't supposed to be in school. I at that point at that point I had one semester left to finish and I was two months into the semester before I graduated. And I couldn't, I literally couldn't, I couldn't hold it in anymore. Like I couldn't, I had no idea what was happening. And so I broke up with my girlfriend. I left school. I, I was like nearly suicidal at one point for 30 minutes, just sitting in my closet and just being there and sitting with this. I said, I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what has happened since day one, since I've been here. I literally just, I remember I always held up the AK. Like I always had this, uh, you know, the AK 47. It's like the, typical yeah yeah it's like yeah it's like a gun it's got like the wooden butt stock it's like what you see all the foreigners using in movies right Right. so I always had like I had like I bought multiple AK-47s I collected them because it was the weapon that most it's a guy thing but at the time it was like it was the thing that most that tried to kill me the most amount of times right so I had uh, this collection of AK-47s and I hung them up on my wall and it was a reminder that like that thing couldn't kill me. You know, it's like one of the most popular guns in the world. I mean, it's just, a, it's an amazing piece of engineering. And so I, I collected this thing. And I remember after I broke up with my girlfriend and I broke up, I left the college and, I, and all this stuff was happening. I just went into my closet. I grabbed my AK and I loaded it and I just put it on my lap. And I said, I, I just have no idea what's going on. I was like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I have no idea what this is about. And I just felt all of the pain of everything, the pain of not understanding, the pain of confusion, the pain of war, the pain of breaking up with my girlfriend, just felt deeply into it all. And I just sat there for 30 minutes and just wept over my gun. And then after that, I got up and I sold all my weapons and sold all my military stuff. And I knew that that identity was just kind of dying and and leaving. That's all it was. It was that identity coming up to the surface and saying, you don't need me anymore. Like I'm dead to you now. And so it came to the surface. I felt that fully. People don't realize that when people get suicidal, it's actually like can be incredibly healing and they don't realize that it's just an old part of us dying and ready, getting ready to leave. Transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Shedding of the old skin, shedding of the old layers. But at the same time, you know, as that part of you leaves, you say, it's been fun. (laughs) Thanks for dancing with me. (laughs) Right. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. It's not pleasant by any means. So I totally agree with that. But, yeah. you know, like to resist that old part of you, like so much, many of us say, oh, like I even see amazing spiritual teachers today, you know, go into the like, I used to be a terrible person and feel so guilty about who they used to be. But, you know, we all used to be less than we are today. And had we not been that person, we wouldn't be today you know who we are today so you've got to bless right. that part of you you know you've got to bless right. you've got to bless the selfish angry person that you used to be and just like it's been fun thanks for the dance like you say the leela you know it's all part of the experience of this earthly existence that play yeah. that leela yeah so oh your story is amazing i'm loving this go <laughs> oh, on <that's> <laughs> you're making me cry and laugh oh good good yeah so then I had that experience and I I said I don't you know I don't know what's going on but I just need to experience something totally different again I just knew I needed to experience something totally different so I went to India 
it traveled around. It didn't feel right. And then I found this, these yogis and I don't know if you've heard it. Have you heard of the Isha, the organization Isha, Sadhguru? He's a pretty big spiritual teacher on YouTube. Oh, okay. Um, he's, he's amazing. He's an amazing person. Um, and I came to his ashram and the energy was the highest I've ever felt. Uh-huh. The highest I've ever felt. And he had, he had lingas all around the ashram. You know, so what's you, a linga for people that don't understand what a linga yeah. is? A linga is, uh, it's like an energy form. It's like a little mini statue is what it looks like. And around it, it's a charged energy form that works on the chakras. Um, You know, we have the chakra system. And and so if you're lacking in the ground chakra, you would go to like a ground chakra lingam or a ground chakra ashram and you'd spend time in there and then you would see that you feel less anxious and less worried. You know, think about it. It's like energetic hospitals, you know, where you get your tune up energetically. God, do we need more of those? I tell you, oh, I wish every hospital was an energetic hospital. But anyway, yep, go on. Yep, yep, oh, yep. absolutely, totally. Yep. So I spent six months here just sitting. Some days I would sit seven, eight hours in front of these lingams and getting my energy just really worked out in a powerful way. I just knew that was the next thing I needed to do. And so, yeah, we get my energy fixed on and worked on. And, you know, there were places in the ashram where, uh, you know, like the yogi's wife had gone into Mahasamadhi. Are you, are you familiar with what Mahasamadhi is? I've heard these names, but you know what? I don't kind of tune into the whole Indian thing. I went to India and spent some time there. And when I came back, I decided <laughs> as beautiful as India was. We Never need, again. Well, no, we need to have that spirituality in the West. Like we have to stop looking to the East. You know, we need right. to formulate the same understanding in a Western understanding, you know, like and, and make it relatable and make it um, to the Western culture and mind. So I Beautiful. kind of left the whole, you know, I've stopped reciting the, the mudras and, you know, like left the whole Indian thing behind and started having conversations in a very Western, you know, l- l- Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, um, oh, but I so I don't remember what Mahasamadhi is. Samadhi means to anyway. Tell us. Tell us. So Mahasamadhi is when the yogi realizes that okay, I no longer need this physical body anymore. Like right. you raise your energies to a certain peak, and literally the energy, the, the energy system that we really are that taps in and uses the human body to have a physical experience. It the energy goes too high that it can't stay in the body. Right. It's like it's a peak level and it checks out. Right. So Mahasamadhi is when a yogi makes a conscious decision to leave the body. So right. It's a conscious death. It's literally a conscious, a conscious death. death. That's what I'm going to have. That's what Yogananda did. And that's what I want to teach everybody. You know, we don't have to suffer to die. We don't even have no. to get sick to die. Getting sick does give you an excuse to exit because, you know, life becomes less enjoyable. So you're like, I'm out of here. But because right. uh, we get very attached to our physical lives, you know, like, um, stop doing that. It's making my neck hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why i'm doing it i'm like God, i know we both got sore necks anyway yeah. uh, <laughs> so a mahasamadhi is what you call it when you check out consciously check out i like that okay cool yeah so yeah. what were you going to say about it who was doing i that? was just going to say the guru's wife who helped him set up the whole thing she left she, did she left her body in a place mm-hmm. in the ashram and there, like when you go there you literally just feel you sense an explosion of beauty. You sense an explosion of blissfulness. Uh, it's like exuberance. That's the best way. Blissful exuberance. And I would just meditate in her energy, and I'd feel this blissful exuberance. And I, I, I allowed that to integrate into my own being. And um, so I spent 
six months there. Yeah, I spent the, my, all my whole time pretty much there in India in this ashram. And then when I came back, I said, all right, it's time to get into it. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I have no idea what I'm doing, but it's just time to get into it. And I started a blog and I started a YouTube channel and then I moved across the country to Colorado and I came to Colorado and um, I built a course on empaths. That's like awesome. That just blows every other course on empathy out, on empaths and how to manage with settle energies out of the water. Um, and then people started reaching out to me and then I started doing coaching work and now I'm trying to work more in the business world. Um, and now I'm doing coaching full time and it's, it's, I call it coaching, but really it's like, it's a form of therapy. It's mixing, uh, esoteric principles, people who come to me who have no idea about any of this stuff, don't know what's happening to them. They just experience these amazing shifts and they're like, what, what, what do we do? You know, like, I don't understand this. What do we do? And uh, then I'll explain it to them if they want to, but most of the time they just they just feel that shift and it's so great. I know. Here's the thing about being a coach or a healer or a teacher or whatever label you want to put on yourself, a difference maker, a light worker, a helper, a supporter, is that it's all about the frequency you inhabit. Like when you expand right. your frequency, people come into your field and they're having their kundalini awakening, their DNA activations, you know, like they're, yeah. you know, it's happening. You don't actually have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You just have to work on yourself. And that's and, exactly it. Yeah. So um, it can be that simple, right? And uh, totally. If you could just embody the presence, like you raise yeah. your vibration and you learn to just really be with someone out of the mind, that's the best transformation you can offer someone because energetically that just goes right onto them. And so, that's what I do. Sometimes people come to me, they got, they're living up here in the mind, they're speaking rapidly and I'll just, okay, let's get back into the body and I'll get them back in their body through an exercise and then I'll do an energetic transference. I had one client, Bonnie, recently, she had a home invasion 13 years ago and so she never felt safe in her body. She never felt safe in her own home. So her energy was blocked around the Manipura. So when we came into contact, my, my energy, I could feel hers. It was all tight around the stomach, my tightened stomach. I just, my stomach tightened up. And so I said, Hey, Bonnie, it's going to stop everything right now. Um, let's drop into your stomach. Can you place both hands over your stomach and we'll get quiet. We'll just drop into that. And then I just started speaking to the gut, speaking to the stomach saying, Hey, you know, where in your, where in your life are you living outside of your power? Where do you feel fear? Uh, what happened to make you feel this tension, this tightness in your stomach? And then it just opened up and exploded. So I really, what I do is I feel the person's energy. I feel where the blocks are energetically. And then I speak to those parts of the body and I bring them up. But the most important thing you can do is no one's going to open up to you unless they feel safe. So you just have to create an incredibly safe space and really have the highest intention for people. Yeah. People aren't used to that. No one's used to that in the world. I wouldn't say nobody. <laughs> a few of us. <laughs> right, right. There's only a few of us who actually, I think, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, you're right. I, that's a big generalization. A lot of the people that come to me, I guess you could say I work with, they come to these. Yeah, the people that you're experiencing. Well, that's very much the West, isn't it? Don't trust anybody, you know. Keep, right. It's like me and you against the world. It's like we just have so many messages of this separation, this separation, this separation, instead of this connection, like don't talk to strangers. You know, I've got a friend who wrote a book called Do Talk to Strangers because <laughs> it's like... Some stranger, if you're a little kid, don't talk to strangers. They might kidnap you and kill you. It's like, ah, you know, we're just marinating in fear in this, in this yeah. environment, right? Yeah. And, um, and it hits up on our news too. And people watch the news and they don't realize that if you consume that energy, you become it. You know, I, that's what I tell people. I say, 
Whatever you consume physically, you become. Whatever you consume mentally, you become. Whatever you consume emotionally, you become. It's that simple. And mm-hmm. so take word and note and mind, be mindful of whatever it is that you're consuming mentally and uh, physically, emotionally. And that's what you become. It's, that, it's just that simple. For people watching this, you've probably noticed that Jared's been yawning and cricket. He's, he's going through one, another one of those upgrades. He's going through right. another. <laughs> I know. I probably... I'm looking at myself and I'm like, wow, I actually look pretty exhausted right now. No, you look fine. You look fine. You look fine. But, um, you know, this is what these upgrades can feel like. We are also so hypnotized into thinking that any sort of physical pain we have in our body means that we're going to be dying of cancer. You know, I remember I got this explosion in my gut one day and I thought, damn, that doesn't feel good. Like that. So I went off and had and spent all this money having cat scans and mri scans and all these scans and blood tests make sure i'm not going to die of cancer there was nothing wrong with me (laughs) damn so um you know it's really great to as you've just said to ask your pain or your depression or your frustration or your anger or your tiredness you know what are you showing me Mm -hmm. what are you what are you doing like and just be sometimes tiredness just makes us stop out of the busyness of the mind and just mm-hmm. lets us just come back to back to the now, really, back to self, back to exhaustion. Like you can't do anything, you can't think anything, you just have to be in the moment, right, when you're exhausted. Mm. You just have to be here now. So rather than thinking that I'm exhausted because I've done this or because this happened, but it's like, all symptoms or all pain is guidance right it's all just your your soul speaking to you through your body or through your emotions or through your energy systems talking to you so listen yeah absolutely it could be your soul it could be the soul of another person uh you know like oh depending on where i'm going i'm tapping different parts of my body and i don't even know why i'm doing it but it's just controlling the flow of energy the flow of life and that's all like a yogi knows how to do is they just know how to control the flow of energy through them that creates the physical. So like your body, I look at it as literally like a, a remote to how you want to experience. We just don't know that. We just think, oh, no, I got to do this. I got to do that. But you, you tap certain parts of your body and activate certain experiences for your life. Uh, it's, it's that simple because it's just a flow of energy. Uh, that's what we do. Learn. that's what we need to learn how how life flows through us on the inside you know when you say these energy hospitals that's a dream i've had for the west you know mm. I, I think that you've got a similar intention to to sort of bring the wisdom of that eastern and, and make it digestible to the western mind and make it more mainstream within the western culture mm. Because, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, I remember listening to Deepak Chopra years ago, being brought up in all, you know, marinating and energy and chakras and meditation and then going, I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. I want to go be a doctor, right? I want, I want science. I want, you know, and went and studied at university, became the top of his field and then became full circle, came back to the whole Eastern philosophy and now he's mm. that guru, you know. Yeah. So that's I think what, if we can. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what the West needs to understand the flow of energy, but in a in a way that maybe doesn't necessarily use Eastern um, words, you know, to make it different to who we are. Like, right. we need to find a language and some words to explain what they've been explaining for you know thousands of years. Yeah. Right, 
I totally agree. I, I think the only, this is at least my bigger vision plan after I do the coaching work and the coaching business. Um, who knows, it might happen sooner than I anticipated. I met a, a, a man, Mark Williams, who's running for um, congressman here in Colorado, and we met a couple nights ago, and it was really interesting. He's already kind of doing this work, so maybe it'll come quicker than I think, but I'd rather not. I'd rather just do what I want to do, but that's not really how this process works, I'm realizing more and more. <laughs> uh, Gotta go with the flow, go with the flow. Right, exactly. And so, um, you know, what, 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 what Mark has really done is learning to control the internal states, your nervous system, and control the flow of energy through certain practices that are, you know, thousands of years old. Uh, I mean, he spent a lot of time in training, and he's trained combat veterans and other people. But then what I'm looking at is like, how can you combine that ancient wisdom with technology? And exactly. that intersection is really interesting to me. So I really love investigating consciousness technology. I haven't, I don't have time to do it right now. I'm, I'm not doing it right now. But one of the long term things that I see is using, um, you know, consciousness technology, such as like meditation tables, you know, like there's so much, there's this guy, I think he's in Arkansas. He, he runs a company that builds and sells meditation tables and he's got like a phd and he's all sciencey about it but he shows you how you can change the brain states you know alpha delta beta theta you know epsilon uh just with a flip of a switch and so if a person like you know if, if they're not sleeping well you just lay down on this table and you put them in a brain state of epsilon and they go super deep and then they wake up two hours later and they've had like a full night of sleep so just the idea that I've had, and I don't like talking about my ideas too much because it tends to start happening way quicker. But my idea for it would be to bring all these technologies, consciousness technologies that have hard studies on them and make it a location where people can come. And, you know, it's, it's like this, con this combination of consciousness uh, technology um, and you know physiological manipulation along with like the energetic perspective possibly but i don't even know if there's a crowd that exists in that space you know uh that's why i moved to boulder that's why i got called to boulder though because boulder is very progressive it's open google just moved in here google just started a building but it's like awakened to a sense where it's open to these things like it's not like I could walk into Google and say, hey, I'd like to run a meditation mindfulness workshop. And they'd be like, yeah, we'd love to see what you have to offer. Yeah, so they would. I, I feel like I'm right smack dead in the middle of a location where it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see. See what happens. First, I got to co coach all the businesses here and make relationships with all the big businesses here and coach them and create that intimacy and show them that deep relational work. And then once I get that, then I'll, then I'll probably ask for donations and that's all. That's, that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> it will all unfold. It'll all be yeah. perfect. You right, know, right. it'll all unfold. Um, <laughs> from this linear mind perspective, it's fun to be on the journey and have the not knowing. Uh, Cause it's kind of like we can say, you know, I look forward to showing for you to show me how this is all going to unfold because if you've got all the answers it's it's not it's not a fun ride right it's like you know the end of the movie so you don't sit through the movie so yeah <laughs> that's exactly it for me it's a mix of it used to be a mix of terror and anxiety but now it's more or less just like i'm just dropping into a space where i'm like 
I can't even be scared anymore. I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to spend money on the things that I know I need to spend money on, work on the things that I know I need to work and just trust the whole process. And that's really the space I'm kind of dropping into now. It's don't really know any other way of living at this point. Exactly. Just trust and give and work. Trust, give and work. <laughs> that's it right there. Trust, and work, give not, yeah, and work in a good, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's, it's a good way. Like, you're just, okay, I'm, I don't know necessarily how I'm going to approach this, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Just keep putting yourself out there. Okay. I want to get into the empath thing. Cause I know there's a lot of empath, empaths out there that are really struggling because so many people play, um, you know, fall victim to their own empathic abilities. And this is when they drug themselves up or kill themselves because they right. start to feel so sad. You know, we live in a pretty dense environment where we're marinating in fear most of the time. And the thing about it is we become so acclimatized to that sort of frequency that we don't even know it. You know, mm. one of the authors of the book that I just put out, Scarlett Lewis, you know, I'm donating the proceeds to her charity was when her son was senselessly murdered that she hit this um, knowing that all her, her biggest fear had been realized and she had what she called like an in-body life review where she looked back on her life and saw how so much of her thoughts had been fear-based, you know, like, mm. and we become so acclimatized to that fear mm. that we don't even notice that we're in fear. It's just like mm. becomes normal, right? But to an empath and to people expanding their empath, they start to feel it really, really strongly. Mm-hmm. What would your advice be to empaths that are like feeling all this fear around them and, and they kind of become overwhelmed? Right, right. Absolutely. And I'm just giving you a heads up too. I, I got about 10 minutes here. I'm fading pretty fast. You're fading. All right. Really <laughs> Ten fading. Minutes I'm, left. I'm enjoying this, but I'm just fading too fast now. Um, yeah, so when it comes to the empaths and what they're doing, the best thing that they can learn and realize is whenever those energies come in, it's just, it's literally just an energy and you can choose to allow it to come in or you can choose. So they think they got to block off. They do all these mirroring techniques, all psychic defense. It's not what you want to do. You want to take a judo perspective. Have you, have you heard of the thing judo? I have heard of judo, yeah, but I don't know it, yeah. Gotcha. So in judo, you use all of your opponent's energy as the mechanism for allowing that energy to go through you. So for instance, if someone punches you, you turn, you like go with the punch, but you don't let it hit you. You turn, you grab the arm, and you use their forward momentum to throw them over your shoulder. So you barely use any strength, but you move everything around you. Mm -hmm. This is what the empath needs to learn. This is what I learned how to do with energy. Um, and this is what's most helpful for the empath. A lot of empaths, they do all these mirror techniques, all this crazy shit that doesn't actually work because it takes a lot of energy to hold up something, you know, or hold like, oh, I got to hold up, a, imagine a mirror, imagine a block or something like that. It takes energy to hold that up. What you do is fully embrace the energy, fully allow it to come in, see it come in, see the negative thoughts, see the negative emotions and allow it to flow through you as quick as possible. Do you see it? You notice it? Yep, there it is. Is this mine? Nope, it's not mine. Okay, and there it goes. And that just takes practice. You know, for me, and even in my course that I sell on my website, I have people, I have exercises where you're supposed to go out in public and you tune into your energy. You say, okay, yep, this is my energetic signature. This is me. And then you tune in consciously into the world around you in the crowd. You say, oh, okay, this is the crowd. And what that does is it gives you an understanding of what your energy is and what your energy isn't. 
a lot of the empaths who look at empathy as a disempowering thing or a double-edged sword, they're like, I'm so sensitive, this is great, but at the same time, I feel everything, I'm overwhelmed, oh my God, what do I do? Mm -hmm. uh, they're in that space, and it's really easy to step out of that space. First, the best thing that you can do is recognize what's your energy, start practicing that, go to a crowded place, tune into your own energy, see what your energy is, and tune into the crowd around you, see what their energy is, and then once you get that distinction between your energy and the energy of the crowd, that won't mix up. And so then when that energy comes in, you're like, that's not my energy, and you allow it to just go right through. But what happens is sometimes the energy can be so overwhelming that it just starts playing out through the empath, and the empath gets like energetically hacked by yeah. the other person, and they don't realize it. So the first key thing is developing a present-to-present-day awareness of knowing when you get energetically hacked, feeling that, and then going back to your authentic self. And you can even say, like I say a mantra sometimes. I don't do it anymore, but when I first start working with empaths, I, t I give them a mantra, and you say, higher self, show me where my authentic self is. It's called the authentic self meditation. Nice. And what that does is just when you run that track, one, run that program or that thought through your mind, your energies will contract into your authentic self and who you really are. So you can be in these really deep, dark places, but your energies are contracted into the safe space. Um, and the energy just goes right through you or goes around you. You won't even feel it. So I always, I say develop a present moment to moment awareness of when this energy comes in. As soon as it comes in, say, okay, seeing it come in, this is not me. This is trying to play out through my body, through my being authentic, uh, you know, higher self, show me where my authentic self is. Continue to say that until you get to a point where you don't feel that energy anymore. Higher self, show me where my authentic self is. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the thing about being an empath, because I was one in my 30s, is that it, it just forces you to go on this personal growth. Um, mm. You raise your frequency. You just have to, you have to sort out your negative thinking or your, your subconscious negative thought. You have to, because you can only really feel the vibration that you're a similar vibrational match to. So if you're vibing in a higher like frequency, you're more happy, you're more connected, you're more in that place of love, you know, you can understand and sense that other frequency, the negative frequency. But just like you say, it's, it doesn't stick. It's, you're not attached to it. It doesn't hurt you. It can kind of move through you and you can be like you're unattached. You're unattached yeah. to it. And so you have to raise your vibe. And that was, took me like 10 years to figure that out because I kept going to gurus saying, how do I protect myself? And they were saying, Archangel Michael, golden lights, you know, like giving me all this. But the only way I could protect myself was like raising my vibe. So that mantra, right. higher self, show me where my authentic, that actually raises your vibe. That's a beautiful mantra. I love that. It, it just shifts, and for me, shifts. like yeah, it shifts your focus. Because like I said, when it, wherever your focus goes, Energy will start flowing there, right? So if you, that's why people watch the news and then they, they blame the news for all their issues in their life. You know, that's they tap right. into that energy stream. So if there's a bad energy stream that's coming in and you have your focus on that, then you're tapping into that energy. Like you are yeah. joining in the river of that energy. Exactly. So all you do is just shift the focus back into your authentic self. And Beautiful. I love it. Oh, darling one, thank you for being with us today. I can see you're fading and I could, yeah. I could talk to you all day. Isn't he gorgeous? <sighs> Isn't he gorgeous? Yeah. Don't you love him? I just think <laughs> he's gorgeous. And I, um, you know, we're going to hear a lot from you. Uh, I'll be excited to see where else you take things. You're, um, 
you're a bit of a superstar in my books. Um, you know, oh, I want you, you to I want you to put a chapter in our awakening book. You know, you still up for that? I'm gonna call yeah. you. So, yeah, yeah. So of we could yes. get this, you know, like we could just like, transcribe what we've spoken about today and put it in because it's you know it's it's brilliant. You know, it's just your awakening is just talking about kundalini and war and it's just oh, it's like amazing you've lived 16 oh. lifetimes all so far and you're still a kid anyway That's what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> so i uh, tell people who are listening to this on audio where to go to find more of you yeah so if you want to find me uh you can find me at mysticeye.co um https mystic mysticeye.co and my brand is changing to transformationalcoaching.co however if you still type mysticeye.co that'll take you to the new website and you'll be able to see my youtube channel what i do there i do live streams every monday wednesday and friday at 7 p.m eastern time i break down a whiteboard and i go into things like you know how to how to ex how to get over your fear or how to understand your fear of rejection or just really all those deep everyday life questions that we have in the back of our mind that we never give time to uh, I go deep into those. I break it down Barney style with a with a whiteboard and we go deep into it. And I just share with you my experiences, but also the experiences that I've had with some of the clients that I've worked with and how to best navigate those hard times. Beautiful. Sounds All fantastic. Right. Thanks, yeah. honey. And, um, you know, we'll see you again. We'll, we'll chat oh. Another time, but we'll let you go because it's late for him now. It's morning. It's like well, nearly lunchtime here in Australia, but it's late over there because you're on the east coast. So yeah, thanks so much, Karen. I really appreciate you having me. It means a lot. Thank you so much. Wow, what do you think of Jared? Isn't he gorgeous? I tell you what, we I turn off the recording and we start yakking, and we talk about things like we're going out there, more cosmic, you know, like woo, flying around the universe, talking about all this stuff. And I'm thinking, oh damn, I've turned the recording off now. I wish I'd recorded it. But I think I will have the gorgeous Jared back on the show because there's so much to talk about with this man. He is just a light. He's a light onto this world. And, um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you have any questions, you know, ask underneath on the YouTube or send me an email or talk to Jared. He's, uh, he's very open and happy to talk to you. He's going through a bit of a, another transitioning process at the moment. He's only 28. Isn't that gorgeous? He's going through another uh, shift in his world. So I see him being really busy. I see him being so busy one day that you won't be able to email and talk to him. You know, he'll just like have all those PAs doing that. But um, yeah, so he's available to talk to now <laughs> while he's still young and available. So uh, beautiful. Thanks for watching. And remember to... Um, Get the book, get the book. Jared's actually going to write his awakening story in the next book, The Awakening, Awakenings. I think I'm going to call it Awakenings, Personal Stories of Transformation. So it's just generic about, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a pretty full quota at the moment. I'm waiting to see who actually gets their chapter in because judging from the last book, it took a long time to get all those chapters in. So we'll just see who steps up to the mark to put it in the next book and, uh, so there's people that have had awakenings, oh, wow, through war, that's amazing, through illness, through, um, oh, you know, just through reading and, and questioning and there's many ways that we can awaken but, you know, this is the book that is the one about death. So remember to go out and get that on Amazon.
sorry, a bit of indigestion, available on Amazon and Kindle. People have been asking me, is it, is it available on audio? It isn't yet because that's kind of expensive to get it up on audio. And um, until we actually cover the costs for the first one, I haven't got the money to uh, make it audio, but I'm hoping to get it up in an audio version maybe next year or towards the end of the year. And uh, yeah, so many things to do, so many ways to share the love and spread the message. And uh, if you'd like to meet any of the people that we've had on the show, I'm going to invite Jared into the Inner Sanctum, actually. Join our little Inner Sanctum tribe. Deliberate, I call it Deliberate Creation for the New World Teachers. And let me tell you, these are not New World Teachers that are out there standing on stage inspiring lots of people. These are people who know they're difference makers. They're having experiences themselves. They're asking a lot of questions like Jared did. What happens? What's happening to me? What's happening to me? What's happening to me? Someone like me who's been through it all, I can sort of say, well, this is, this is my understanding, but then you have got to come to your own understanding. And then they're sharing these experiences with others. So that's what a New World teacher is, someone who's got the courage to go through this awakening experience to become reconnected or more connected to that essence, that love, that aspect, our source, that higher potential that we are can focus their energy, focus their thoughts and know themselves as powerful, deliberate creators and then show others how to do that as well. We're all in this together. We're all here to inspire each other. So if that sounds like you, join our little Inner Sanctum tribe and become part of our little group. And thanks again for watching. Love you all. Bye for now.